There was seven years of plenty followed by seven years of drought. Yosef threatens Benjamin, but the brothers stay devout. The brothers didn't recognize Yosef because he had a beard, but Yosef knew how old they were. Wasn't that weird? So this week's Parsha is Parshat Miketz. And the Parsha begins by Paro having these two very similar dreams. One of the dreams being um, there were these seven beautiful cows and they were swallowed up by seven uh, very uh, emaciated skinny cows. And the other one was seven uh, grains and again, seven healthy grains being swallowed by seven uh, skinny, unhealthy grains. So anyway, so why does the Torah call these cows beautiful? Rashi explains it's because these seven years of cows, as we learn later, um, are going to be seven years of plenty. And Rashi explains that in times of plenty, everybody looks at each other favorably to the extent that sort of everyone looks beautiful. And when there's tons of resources, everyone can be a little bit more independent and not every, you know, there's less sort of uh, getting on each other's toes. And because of that, everything looks good. And that's why those seven years are called beautiful. Um, and Rashi also explains that later on, uh, when the seven years of drought come, it's going to be obvious that, uh, th- that basically everyone is just going to completely forget that they had those seven years of plenty. And I think, you know, uh, you think about us during COVID that, um, it's almost hard to remember a time before COVID and you can see how it's sort of when bad times come, it's almost, it clouds your memory to the point that you can't even remember what it was like before that time. Uh, moving on, so Paro, before he finds Yosef, he is looking to interpret his dreams among sort of the dream interpreters of Egypt, and one of uh, it, it, he sends for the Chachamim, for the wise people. And supposedly here, this is the first time the word Chacham is used in the Torah. And whenever the first time a word is used, that's sort of a, um, a, an idea of what the word means in general. And it's interesting that here, the, you know, the, the word chacham, meaning wise, is, is used very commonly, uh, for example, like Talmud chacham. Um, and, you know, the, the, this is a major word in Judaism to describe uh, a Torah sage. But yet we see here that the word chacham, this word wisdom, is actually used in the context of non-Jews. Paro first looks for the non, non-Jewish wise people. And I think this goes to teach us that there is chachma, there is sort of wisdom in the general world. And in fact, there's a Gemara that talks about how if we didn't have the Torah, uh, humanity would be able to learn all of the Torah just by investigating different animals and their, their habits. And by learning their habits, we would understand how we were supposed to behave. And so too here that this word chacham um, is referencing not Jewish wise people, but rather non-Jewish wise people, that there's wisdom sort of all around us uh, if we take the time to appreciate it. Moving on, so um, the cupbearer speaks up because Yosef just, sorry, because Paro cannot find an interpreter for his dreams. And the cupbearer says, um, my sins I recall, um, and he has to think about his his former his his the sins that he did namely he left the fly in the in the uh, in paro's wine and um and and paro and the, the cupbearer has to recall his sins to think of that 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 terrible time in his life that he uh, wasn't careful enough to take the fly out 
And because of that, um, in, in, in order, he had to think back to that time uh, in order to come up with the name of, with, with Yosef's name, um, to think back to that time when he was in prison. And uh, perhaps one of the reasons why he forgot Yosef up until this point is because, um, you know, when the things that we sort of did in shameful moments, it's very painful to have to recall them. Even if we have wisdom in our more shameful moments, it's very painful for us to have to think about those shameful moments, even if it's for a good cause. And there's an example, a famous example of that in the Gemara with Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan. Of course, Rish Lakish was a bandit uh, before he became a Torah sage. And there's, uh, there was a dispute between Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish about whoa, at what point does sort of an impurity come into a certain weapon. And Rish Lakish gives his answer, and Rabbi Yochanan responds that a robber knows his tools, um, namely because Rish Lakish was a robber in his former life. And that hurt Rish Lakish so badly that eventually Rabbi Yochanan dies, Rabbi Rish Lakish dies, and it really was a huge falling out. Um, and again, just to sort of stress that point that for the cupbearer, recalling your recalling sort of pulling back memories of painful memories, we try so hard to forget them that when we have to pull them back in, uh, it, it hurts and it's almost better just to forget them. Uh, moving on. So uh, Yosef um, finally gets to, uh, is saved and supposedly he's saved on Rosh Hashanah. So anyways, all he does is he shaves, he changes his clothes, and there he is, he's standing before the king. So there's sort of an obvious question here. How is it possible that Yosef, this, you know, you look at Yosef's uh, resume so far. Really all he's been, he was, a, he was a, a boy, then he was sold to slavery, and then after slavery he was thrown in prison. You're looking at him, he's been in prison, he's been a slave, you know, what kind of resume is that to be standing before the king and eventually uh, to be the viceroy of Egypt? How is it possible that someone sort of with the resume of Yosef, basically almost no resume from very, very humble beginnings, how is it possible that he rose the ranks so astronomically quickly to be standing before the king? Um, you know, and, and in fact, we, we hear that he's a foreigner, he's a youth, he's a slave, you know, he's not exactly painted in the greatest light, yet somehow he's able to rise all the way uh, to lead Egypt. And um, I think the answer is, is that when we took a, a little, when we take a little bit of a deeper dive into Yosef's history, when he was with Potiphar as a slave, he rose the ranks and controlled basically all of Potiphar's finances. And later on, when Yosef was in the prison, again, the prison guard gave him uh, control of basically all the, ins, you know, all the sort of the happenings of the prison. And I think it's a tremendous lesson from Yosef. You know, Yosef, he had this dream that he was destined for greatness, that his brothers would be bowing down to him. And that dream, regardless of his actual situation, whether he was a slave, whether he was in prison, he had this unbelievable dream. And that dream was so overwhelming that um, that that regardless of his situation, whether he was a slave, whether he was prison, he made the most of it. And when you make the most of a situation, when you're a slave, even if you're a slave, uh, there's probably some room for growth. And in fact, there was room for growth. He ended up running all of Potiphar's finances. Even if you find yourself in prison, again, there's some room for growth. He was able to run uh, the happenings in the prison. And that set him up 
for uh, leadership at the highest level of running uh, the, the huge and wealthy nation of, of, um, of Egypt. And uh, it just goes to show you that sort of regardless of our situation, if we make the most of it, if we feel that we're destined for greatness, regardless of what situation we find ourselves in, there's always room for improvement. And when we improve and that opportunity opens up, we never know what can, you know, what can happen with it. Um, so Yosef, when he interprets the dreams, it's interesting. He, he starts with sort of with explaining to Paro that there's going to be seven years of famine, even though that's not in chronological order. Chronologically, there's going to be seven years of, of, um, of plenty and then seven years of famine. So the Ramban explains here that people, that wealthy nations, you know, wealthy people pay most attention to bad times. So Yosef, he wanted to catch the, the, the Paro's attention. And that's why he said, he started with seven years of famine, even though first there was going to be seven years of good times. And I think, you know, so too that for, for um, COVID, you know, like the, the people warning this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You see a lot of negative news just in general. The news is filled with negative news, mainly because it's sort of more attractive to the human brain. And that's why Yosef starts with seven years of famine as opposed to starting with what's going to actually happen first of seven years of plenty. So Yosef, he really goes sort of above and beyond just interpreting um, Paro's dream, and he gives unsolicited advice about finding a wise leader to lead uh, Egypt through this turbulent time, a seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. And why did Yosef feel that he should give this unsolicited advice? Again, it's because Yosef had this sort of unwavering belief of his greatness, and whenever there was an opportunity regardless of even if it was unsolicited advice whenever Yosef had an opportunity uh to, to you know he jumped on it and um when he found himself in front of Paro he did not let that opportunity slip by and perhaps that's why he was able uh to eventually lead lead uh, Egypt through this through this uh, upcoming turbulent time so Paro um says to his advisors um hanimza kaze could you find, is it possible to find someone like him, find someone like, um, like Yosef that has the spirit of God in him? So I heard from Rabbi Katz that Simcha Bonim says that what does this mean? Could you find someone like him? Rabbi Simcha Bonim says it's, could you find someone like him that looks sort of, that looks so good? Um, we saw before that Yosef is called a Na'ar, and Rashi explains what that means. A Na'ar means like a youth, but what that means is that he styled his hair, he made himself look good. So um, what Yosef is at, what, what Paro is asking here, is it possible to find someone that looks so good physically, but at the same time is such a, has the spirit of God in him? And perhaps that's really the message of Hanukkah, uh, Rabbi Katz explained that Rabbi, that 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 over Hanukkah you have sort of this this interesting um, you know the the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah and there's a lot of discussion about how to beautify it how to make it look nice um, how to use the right oils you know how to you know increasing the candles day after day uh, all of these things um, that really make the 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 uh, the mir- make the uh, Hanukkah miracle look nice look beautiful and. The point being there is that, of course, uh, it's dealing, the, the holiday of Hanukkah is dealing with the Greeks. And the Greeks, they um, were people that were very into physical beauty, 
but they they sort of always viewed physical beauty apart from uh, from spiritual beauty as where the Jewish people and as Paro says, could we find someone like Yosef? Yosef was sort of this person that he both had he had both going for him. Not only was he physically beautiful, but he also had sort of the spirit of God within him. And um, that combination, that's what made him so unique. And that's why Paro says, could we find someone like him? Moving on, so Yosef was named, was, was renamed um, Safnat Paneach. And Rashi explains what that means is that uh, Yosef was able to explain what was hidden. And Yosef is really sort of the first uh, economist, if you will, of the Torah. And Yosef, he um, sort of was like the federal bank, if you will, uh, saving saving money in the good times, saving resources in the seven years of plenty, and then was able to disperse those resources in the seven years of famine. And, um, and oftentimes an economist is tasked with being able to explain sort of hidden underlying trends that everybody else doesn't see. And uh, that's an appropriate name for an economist like Yosef to be called Safnat Paneach. Okay, so moving on. So uh, Yosef names his, well, his child Menashe, which means uh, to forget the hardships. And the Akedah talks about here that Yosef was able to forget his past wounds, and he was grateful for that. And it goes to show you that just how important sort of having a selective memory is being able to forget those bad times. You know, Yosef, he was sold as a slave um, by his brothers. His brother tried to kill him. You know, and as a slave, he was accused of rape and thrown in prison for a lot of years. And Yosef was able to uh, sort of have selective memory and to be able to forget those hard times and uh, only focus on the good times. And that was, the Akedah says, that's what, that's what was able to make him uh, so grateful because of his, his ability to have a selective memory. Moving on, so we have the Midrash Tanhuma. Uh, he, he notes that Yosef uh, was would you know forced um, forced the Egyptian people to become circumcised in order to get food, and this seems a little bit problematic. So um, that the Yifa Toar says that uh, this was in order so that when his brothers who were circumcised, when they eventually came to the land of Egypt, they would feel more at home um, because everybody else was also circumcised and goes to sort of teaches us just how important it is when a stranger comes in, um, when, you know, brothers, when, when these Canaanite, when, when uh, the, the Jewish brothers come into the land of Egypt, they, uh, Yosef is willing to go to extreme lengths to make sure that they're comfortable. Moving on. So Yaakov, despite having food, tells his sons to go down to Egypt. And um, Rashi explains, you know, wait a minute, if, if, if Yaakov and his family already have food, why do you need to go to Egypt to get more food? So Rashi says it's because uh, you don't want to show, if, if you show, if you sort of flaunt how much you have to eat in a time of famine, that'll cause envy, that will cause the Ayanhara. And because of that envy, sort of people, there's going to be more animosity, unnecessary animosity. And, you know, there's Judaism is sort of obsessed with this idea of Ayanahora, of, um, of sort of flaunting to too much of what you have. If you have good things, to keep them quiet. Uh, you know, one easy example of that is that a father and a son are never supposed to go back to back um, in giving a liot. And that's because the, there might be sort of envy from the peanut gallery. 
that uh, that a father and son are able to have an aliyah together. And um, and basically, this is sort of what Yaakov was doing. Even though they had food, they didn't want to flaunt just how much food they have. Moving on, so Yosef tells his brothers that he fears God. And what's pretty shocking here is he says this in the context of basically threatening them uh, with their life if they don't find, if they don't bring Benjamin back. And, um, and basically here, so he feared God. Uh, what's fascinating is when he says he fears God, there's two ways you could interpret this. One way is positively, that Yosef, not only did he fear God when um, sort of uh, dealing with Potiphar's wife's advances, uh, and so he was able to fear God sort of at the lowest times of his life when he was a slave. But he was also able to fear God all the way at the top when he was leading country. And sometimes that's difficult to do, to be able uh, to fear God in both times when you are uh, you know, poor and times when you're, when you're wealthy. The second interpretation is more negative, um, that basically, you know, how many times have non-Jewish rulers claimed that they fear God, claim that they're doing something in the name of, of God, and then ultimately uh, killing tons and tons of Jews. You know, you look at uh, Spanish Inquisition, the list goes on and on, of times where uh, people supposedly were God-fearing, but in reality, they were just there to hurt the Jews. Um, and that seems like what sort of Yo- what uh, Yosef was doing here, that he claims he fears God, but in reality, he was threatening the brothers with their life. Moving on, so the brothers say to one another that um, they weren't compassionate enough with Joseph, with Yosef, and that's why they're being treated so harshly um, by by the by this person who they don't realize is Yosef yet. Um, but they, what, but notably, uh, they do not say that they regret uh, selling Yosef into slavery. They just say that they weren't compassionate enough. And I think this is a tremendous lesson from the brothers here, that tough decisions shouldn't be regretted. You know, that the brothers had a tough decision to sell Yosef, and supposedly that was the right thing to do, actually. They were supposed to sell him. The only thing was, is that they should have felt compassion for him. They should have felt sorry for him. And that's a nice thing for us, that even when we have to make sort of tough decisions that might crack some eggs, so to speak, it's important that we do it with sort of utmost compassion. Um, moving on, so Rav um, Zlatowicz says that Yehuda, um, he requests to take Benjamin. Um, sorry, so, so, so when, when uh, they get back, when the brothers get back to Yaakov, um, Yehuda uh, requests that they take Benjamin back to the land of Egypt. Um, and, and he was successful in convincing Yaakov, um, yet Yaakov was uh, not persuaded um, the first time by a different brother. And the, the lesson being here is that Yehuda, we saw in last week's Parsha, also lost two of his children. And he and, and Yaakov, again, lost Yosef, uh, or seemingly lost Yosef, and Shimon was locked up in the land of Egypt. And the only reason that, um, that, gets, that, uh, that Yaakov was willing to give Benjamin 
is because Yehuda sort of also was able to feel for him because he also lost two of his sons. Um, so sometimes if we're trying to convince someone it's important of something, it's important that we sort of understand where they're coming from. And if we have shared experiences, it's much more likely that we'll be more convincing. Moving on, so um, so so they give a gift back to back to Yaakov, and this gift included things like pistachios, almonds, other delicacies that you can't find in Egypt. And a nice lesson that if you're going to bring a gift, the most valuable one is something that the other person doesn't have. Uh, some kind of you know as as wealthy as Yaakov as as uh, Yosef obviously was, being the leader of Egypt he still couldn't get some of these delicacies that were only in a foreign country. And so too, if we make sort of a homemade gift, something unique, that that's what's ultimately sometimes most praised, uh, that's the best gift possible. Moving on, so um, at the feast, they, so, so Yaakov and, uh, sorry, so uh, the, the brothers and Yosef have this big feast, and the Egyptians refused to sit with the brothers because... Um, the, the Parsha says they hated the Ivrim, they hated the, the, the Jewish people. And Rav Hirsch says, wait a minute, the Ivrim, the Jewish people, they were only 70 people at this point, yet they were still hated. And I think this trend has, you know, gone on throughout time, even though the Jewish people are only 0.2% of uh, the overall human population, they play such an out ro- outsized role in sort of everybody hates us, so to speak. And not everybody, but, you know, a huge number of people hate us versus the small number that we really are. And that trend even existed back then. Moving to my last point, so Yosef puts the goblet in Benjamin's sack, and instead of accusing, so so when um, when they were chased, when the brothers were chased to find and and uh, accused of stealing the goblet, they he didn't they weren't accused of robbery. Rather, they were asked, "Why do you repay evil with good?" And the point being here is that even worse than robbery is ingratitude. So because the people, because the brothers seemingly by stealing or by uh, at least the, the, the sort of the, uh, the, the plot was that Benjamin stole, uh, stole the goblet, even though it was just put in Benjamin's sack. But, uh, but why repay evil with good? Because, um, and the lesson being here is that instead of, that, that sometimes being ingratious is even worse uh, than robbery at times, that not appreciating the good that people have done for you is even worse than uh, the heinous sin of robbery. So moving to recap the Parsha, so I began by talking about the um, the, the ten healthy cows are called parot yafot, uh, those beautiful cows. Rashi says that in times of plenty, everything looks beautiful. Moving on, so Rashi also says that when the seven years of drought come, that everybody's going to forget the good times. And I spoke about how sort of during times of COVID, it's like, it's hard to even remember a time before COVID, that during tough times, it's hard to remember uh, the good times that happened before. So later, um, Paro, he is looking to interpret his dreams, and he uh, he goes to the Chachamim, the, the wise people of Egypt. And I spoke about how even in sort of, there's even wisdom, there's even Chachma um, in sort of non-Jewish circles, that uh, the, the Gemara says that if we didn't have the Torah, we could learn how to follow the Torah just from looking at the behavior of other animals. And it goes to show us just how important it is to sort of, you know, that we look for obviously wisdom within Jewish circles, but there's also wisdom outside. Um, moving on, so the cupbearer um, eventually 
speaks up and says, you know, I know someone that interprets dreams pretty well. And he says um, that the cupbearer has to uh, recall his own sins. And those own sins were, of course, leaving the fly in the wine. And that's the reason why he found himself in prison all those years ago. And I spoke about how how is it possible that the cupbearer forgot Yosef all this time. And I said, it's because we often try to forget um, the wisdom that we learned in in, in sort of times of sin, in bad times. And there was that story in the Gemara about uh, Rish Lakish um, saying, giving, giving a certain time that, uh, that, that weapons become tummy, become impure. And Rabbi Yochanan responds, a robber knows his task, knows his tools, because Rish Lakish, of course, in his former life before he was a scholar, was a robber. And this offended Rish Lakish so much that eventually Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish had a falling out, and they both died very sad and lonely deaths. And uh, the lesson here being that basically Rish Lakish, he tried, he tried to move away from his past, even though, yeah, he, he pulled on his wisdom of knowing that when a, uh, when a weapon is, uh, when a weapon becomes impure from his times as a robber, he didn't want that to be brought up. And similarly for the cupbearer, he tried his best to forget that time that he had to spend in prison. And because of that, he ultimately forgot Yosef. So recalling his sins was so painful. That's why recalling his sins uh, was so painful for him to remember Yosef, because he had to think back to that time uh, that he had to, had to spend time in prison. Moving on, so Yosef was eventually brought out on Rosh Hashanah. He shaved, he changed his clothes, and all of a sudden, there he was standing before Paro. So I asked the question, how is this possible? How is it possible that a slave, that a, um, you know, that, that uh, a prisoner, how is it possible that such a lowly person all of a sudden shoots up the ranks to become the leader of Egypt? And I said, you know, it's, if we look in, if we zoom in a little bit more, we see that, first of all, Yosef had these dreams that he was destined for greatness, that his brothers would bow down to him. And that was just an unwavering belief that he had, that he was destined for greatness. And, and then once he was with Potiphar as a slave, he quickly rose the ranks there and was the leader. And later when he was in prison, again, he rose the ranks and led the prison. And it goes to show us that uh, regardless of what situation if we in, we're in, even if we're in part, even if we're in Yosef's situation of being a slave, of being a prisoner, there's always room for improvement. And when we're constantly improving ourselves, regardless of what the situation we're in, you never know when we'll get that split second moment where we can shave, where we can change our clothes, and all of a sudden we're leading Egypt. Um, and uh, you know, if we spend enough time sort of taking the most of the opportunities we have now. The, the next opportunity that comes will be well prepared for it. So Yosef, um, he begins his interpretation by talking about the seven years of famine, even though that's not in chronological order, because the seven years of plenty will come first. And the Ramban says, people remember bad news first. You know, that's why the news is so filled with bad news, because it's more memorable. It catches, you know, what, what bleeds, reads, um, and it catches more attention. So Yosef, he offers unsolicited advice about finding a wise leader uh, to lead, the, to, to lead uh, the country of Egypt through this difficult time of seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And Yosef, he never let an opportunity slip by. And again, he, he, Yosef just had this fundamental belief that he was destined for greatness. And when he was given the opportunity to be before Paro, he never let that slip by. So Paro says to his advisors, Hanimtza Kazek, is it possible to find someone like this? And 
uh, Rav Simcha Banim explains that is it possible to find someone like Yosef that not only was a beautiful looked looked beautiful you know it says that he was a nar that he Rashi says that he uh, that he sort of cared about his hairstyle um, and he was had a haircut he was dressed in fine clothing not only did he look very nice but he also um, sort of had the spirit of God in him and. I spoke about how this is one of the themes of Hanukkah, that there's a lot of emphasis on the beauty of, the physical beauty of the, of the Hanukkah, and because of that uh, physical beauty, um, but it's not just physical beauty standing alone, rather it's this combination of physical beauty with this sort of spiritual bliss at the same time, and that's why Paro says, is it possible to find someone like him, who, like Yosef, who was able to combine sort of physical beauty and spiritual uh, acuity at the same time. Moving on, so Yosef was renamed Safnat Paneach, and I spoke about how Rashi says this means to explain what is hidden. And I said Yosef really is the uh, Torah's first economist. He was able to uh, save during times of plenty and allocate those resources during the seven tough years that came afterwards. And oftentimes that's what an economist has to do. An economist has to look for sort of trends that are hidden, things that are hidden, and be able to explain that uh, to the general populace. Moving on, so he, Yosef names his son Menashe, and that means to forget hardships. The Akita says that he was able to basically, Yosef was able to have a selective memory. He was able to forget his past wounds and was grateful for that. And I said so too, that we should be able to sort of forget those difficult times, those times that... Um, that, that hurt in our lives, and if we're able to forget those times, ultimately we'll be, we'll be happier people. Moving on, so the Midrash Tanchuma says that Yosef forced everyone to circumcise because to, in order to make his brothers feel more at home uh, because they were circumcised, so they, they would feel more at home if, if uh, all the other Egyptians were also circumcised, and goes to show you the extent that uh, Yosef was willing to take to make sure that foreigners, like his brothers, uh, felt comfortable in the land of Egypt. Moving on, so Yaakov, despite having food, uh, tells his son to go down to Egypt. And Rashi says that uh, this is an order that, uh, that basically he won't, it won't cause envy among the other people uh, living in, living in uh, Eretz Canaan. And the lesson here being that we shouldn't flaunt sort of those good things. Even though Yaakov had food for his family, he still sort of had his sons go down to Egypt to get extra food because it wasn't good that, uh, that they flaunt how much food they have by not even, by sort of thinking that they're better than the rest of the people that had to go down to Egypt. Moving on, so Yosef tells his brothers that he fears God. So there's two interpretations to this. One is positive, that Yosef, he feared God, the Torah tells us, when he fended off Paro's wife. Um, and he also feared God even now when he was a leader. He was able to fear God in times when he was poor, when he was desolate, when he was a slave. And he's also able to fear God in times when he was leading all of, the, uh, all of Egypt. Um, the second interpretation is that rulers like Yosef, they sort of rulers throughout history have claimed what they're doing is in the name of God because they fear God. But ultimately, uh, like, for example, the Spanish Inquisition, they, you know, those rulers claim that they feared God, but in reality, it was just sort of a way to create anti-Semitism. And so too for Yosef, he says that he fears God, but then in the next sentence, he basically threatens the life of his brothers by saying if they don't bring back Binyamin, that uh, they'll all be killed. 
Moving on. So the brothers say to each other that they must have not been compassionate enough toward Yosef. And notice, notably, they did not say that they felt bad that uh, they had sold Yosef. Presumably, selling Yosef was the right thing to do. The wrong thing was just they weren't compassionate enough. And I said that tough decisions, like, like uh, you know, supposedly the, the brothers felt like they were justified in selling Joseph, that these tough decisions in life, they shouldn't necessarily be regretted, but they should be done with a sense of compassion. So even if we have to make a tough decision that might hurt someone, um, if that's the only way, it should be done with utmost compassion to that person that we may have to hurt. Um, okay, so moving on. So Rav Zl- uh, Zlotowicz, he says that Yehuda's... Um, request to take Benjamin was successful because he had also lost children. So um, Yaakov isn't willing to part with Benjamin because he felt like he'd already lost Yosef. He already lost Shimon, who was locked in prison. And he didn't want to have to lose another son, Benjamin. And Yosef was able to say why Yehuda's plea to to, to Yaakov was um, effective is because Yehuda says that uh, that that he also Yehuda also had lost as we saw in two in last week's parsha he also lost two of his his sons so he was able to you know when we're trying to convince someone of something it's important that we uh, talk about our shared um, our shared backgrounds moving on so the gift that is given to Yosef included pistachios almonds other delicacies that can't be found in Egypt and I said if we bring sort of a homemade gift a gift that you can only find in your neck of the woods that'll be even more special than a gift that is sort of a generic moving on so at the feast the Egyptians they were they refused to sit with the brothers because the Torah says they hated the Ivrim Rav Hirsch says the Ivrim, the, the Jewish people, they were only 70 people at the time. So how is it possible that they hated them? And I said that this trend has continued without history, even though the Jewish people only make up 0.2% of you know, the, the human population, they are still largely hated by a lot of, uh, you know, by, by an outsized number of people, despite our small numbers. Moving on, so to the last point, Yosef, um, he puts the goblet in Benjamin's sack. And when they, and, and when he goes after them, um, instead of accusing the brothers of robbery, he instead accuses them of being ingracious. Why repay evil with good? And I said that being ingracious, it's so terrible that being ingracious is even a worse crime than, uh, than, than theft in this case. Um, and that's why, why repay evil with good? That was asked as opposed to asking, uh, you know, why do they steal the, uh, the, the goblet? So moving to my poem, there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of drought. Yosef threatens Benjamin, but the brothers stay devout. The brothers didn't recognize Yosef because he had a beard, but Yosef knew how old they were. Wasn't that weird? And with that, l'chaim l'chaim.